Hello, loyal blog readers. Welcome to this week's weekly wire in the class action world. I'm joined by my partner, Jen Riley, and today it's one of my most favorite topics, employment discrimination, class action litigation. Jen, give us an overview of the history of uh, Title VII employment discrimination, class action litigation. Thanks, Jerry. So historically, most cases brought in this area were brought under or have been brought under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Um, Historically, courts granted class certification of claims brought under that statute at high rates, which sparked settlements of those cases on uh, at a high level. Um, The landscape changed when the U.S. Supreme Court decided um, the case Walmart Stores versus Dukes. In that decision, the Supreme Court really raised the bar for class certification. Um, In particular, the court addressed commonality. So with its decision in that case, commonality no longer depended upon the identification of a common question. Um, In fact, from that decision now, um, we know that commonality depends on the plaintiff demonstrating that the claims depend upon a common contention, a common contention that's capable of class-wide resolution or will drive a common answer that will resolve the validity of the claims in one stroke, um, such as um, an assertion of discriminatory bias on the part of the same decision maker. So that ruling made these mega classes, especially in the employment discrimination context with different decision makers, applying different standards, really a lot tougher to certify. Thanks, Jen. I mean, that with that background, it definitely makes sense that the Walmart decision is the 800-pound gorilla in every federal uh, courthouse when class certification motions are being decided in all Rule 23 matters, but especially in the employment uh, discrimination area. And my sense over the last 10, 11 years is that uh, the plaintiff's bar is nothing if not innovative, and they have created a new approach and rebooted Uh, how to prosecute and seek certification employment discrimination cases. And I think the watchwords are smaller classes and classes that are tied together with one particular discrete employment practice, like a hiring test, uh, like a promotional test, like a pay increase. And so uh, the days of classes involving a million or more people, Walmart itself was 1.5 million people, are gone, and so that the plaintiffs' attorneys now are um, taking smaller shots, hitting singles and doubles rather than the grand slam that uh, they might have gone for uh, before. So, as a result, in 2013, what we saw was a success rate or a conversion rate of lawsuits into certified class actions of about 53%. That was up from the year before. Uh, But again, we're kind of in a jump ball situation between the defense and the uh, plaintiffs, uh, and not all employment discrimination cases are equal, but those that involve discrete employment law policies and tend to be of smaller scale rather than larger scale uh, tend to uh, spike success for the plaintiff's bar. The other thing that I've noticed the plaintiffs are doing is certify something. And so more class certification motions brought for issue certification or on liability only and not damages on the theory that if 
the plaintiffs can certify something. The defendants have a tiger by the tail, so to speak, and uh, leverage shifts to the plaintiff's side. And that's a situation where more settlements uh, more often than not will result. So, Jen, what would be uh, good takeaways for our listeners and readers in terms of that 40% block of cases where the defense was successful in opposing class certification in the employment discrimination area? Uh, Thanks, Jerry. There are a few decisions that that really come to the forefront of my mind when I think about successful challenges to Rule 23 motions um, in this context over the past year. Um, A couple of those... Um, involve cases brought under um, Title VII for race discrimination. Um, So the first is Brown versus Board of Trustees of the University of Illinois. Um, In that case, the plaintiffs brought a a class complaint um, asserting discrimination on the basis of their race in violation of Title VII. Um, They essentially asserted that the the university's non-discrimination policy was discriminatory, and also that the university's Office of Access and Equity engaged in a pattern or practice of discrimination by failing to promptly investigate um, allegations of race-based misconduct. Interestingly, um, the court um, evaluated the evidence that the plaintiffs put forward and found that the plaintiffs failed to demonstrate the commonality requirement of Rule 23A. Essentially, that um, even if the plaintiffs alleged um, correctly that the policy and the procedure were problematic, the court found that there was an evidence that anyone actually suffered a Title VII violation. Um, So with that, the court then found that the plaintiffs had failed to meet their burden of showing that common questions were apt to drive resolution of the claims under Title VII. Um, The second case that comes to mind is a case called Brown versus Houston Community College. Um, In that case, the plaintiff um, alleged that the defendants subjected her and other black employees to discrimination on the basis of their race in violation of Title VII again um, by enacting a policy to, to displace black employees um, with white and Hispanic employees. Um, the defendant uh, just defended against those claims in that case um, with evidence that black employees were actually the largest group of employees in the workforce and by demonstrating that only minor changes had been made in the distribution of black employees over a five-year period. Um, The court found that um, as a result of that, common questions did not predominate um, because individualized inquiries would be necessary to determine why each employee was subjected to an allegedly adverse employment decision. Jerry, can you tell us about some of the successful Rule 23 motions we've seen over the past year? Well, I think there are two successful plaintiff's motions in particular that provide plenty of takeaways in this particular area. Both involve um, New York City-based employers uh, and plaintiffs. The first involved uh, a case called Chalmers involved the New York City Fire Department and a group of African-American fire protection inspectors who claimed race discrimination with respect to pay as compared to white building inspectors. And um, based on anecdotal evidence um, and expert statistical report, the court was convinced that the plaintiffs had successfully satisfied all of the Rule 23 requirements. Their case fit within the uh, Duke's mold and granted class certification in 
uh, a case where many thought that it would be impossible ever to certify either that large of a class or a class that involved um, different pay levels. Uh, the court was convinced that because pay was controlled by a civil service system and a collective bargaining agreement, um, that there was lockstep compensation and therefore the court could adjudicate uh, on a common basis the issue of whether or not someone was a victim of race discrimination. Uh, the other case was a private plaintiff case uh, called Chen Oster versus Goldman Sachs. And it has a very long history. The case had been going on a long time. And the defendants argued very vigorously against certification of a class that involved female brokers and white-collar workers claiming um, disparate impact with respect to the way in which they were paid and with respect to their promotional opportunities. And the court uh, eventually certified the case and determined that, again, uh, at least on liability issues, um, that the plaintiff's theories could be adjudicated in one fell swoop. Now, one of the takeaways from that is before trial, within the last two weeks, the defendant in that case struck a settlement for $215 million. And at least thus far in calendar year 2023, um, the Chen Oster case is the largest employment discrimination class action. So it illustrates how conversion of a complaint into a certified class action creates leverage and oftentimes leads to settlements. Jerry, can you address some of the settlements that we've seen in 2022-2023 in this area? In 2022, settlements for employment discrimination class actions more than doubled. It was a very robust year for the plaintiff's bar. Among the top 10 settlements, nine were gender discrimination class actions. One was actually a religious discrimination class action. But the total was close to $600 million. And I think that reflects um, the notions of social inflation uh, and the fact that juries post-pandemic uh, tend to award larger verdicts than before. We're seeing the advent of what are being called nuclear verdicts, even in single plaintiff cases. And so the plaintiff's bar did a very good job in converting certified class actions into um, class actions that were settled and then approved by the court at a very high level at a very high price. Jerry, what do you see um, as, as on the horizon for corporate counsel in 2023? I think 2023 is going to be another significant year. Uh, I mentioned before the $215 million settlement struck in the last few weeks uh, in Metro New York area for a very large certified class action. There'll be more in the pipeline, but more importantly, I think you have plaintiff's attorneys who have been successful uh, in this space and who are willing to invest in these cases to certify an employment discrimination case. You need an expert. That's an outlay of a quarter of a million dollars. So unlike uh, the experience that um, defendants have had, for instance, in the wage and hour space, where there are multiple cases and many brought and not brought necessarily by skilled plaintiff's lawyers. That's not the case in the employment discrimination area. They tend to be very serious cases, very well-researched cases, uh, cases that are financed uh, either by litigation funders or by plaintiff's lawyers willing to make a large investment, especially when they have to pay for an expert that can cost a quarter of a million dollars. 
So I would expect the plaintiff's attorneys to continue to operate on their playbook with smaller size classes, discrete employment policies at issue, and trying to certify something knowing that uh, in a fee-shifting situation with an employment discrimination statute, once a case is certified, it becomes a very, very costly and risky endeavor for a defendant. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. This con this concludes another edition of our Class Action Weekly Wire. Um, I will note that we have just released our Consumer Fraud Class Action Review, which you can find on our website as well as our blog. Check it out. Thank you. Thank you.